Welcome to the podcast. I am Shane Barker, your host of Shane Barker's Marketing Madness Podcast. In this episode, we'll be talking about MarTech and podcasts with Benjamin Shapiro. He's an entrepreneurial and data-driven marketer with over 15 years of experience in consumer internet, startups, and e-commerce. He's a host of over five podcasts and is also a business coach. Listen as he speaks about podcasts and how to monetize them. Well, cool. So obviously you were kind of talking about being in San Francisco and obviously now you're in Burlingame, correct? Yeah. Suburb San Francisco, about a half an hour south. Yeah. Well, I'm in Sacramento. Oh, right. So I'm like, my brother lives in San Francisco. So I know when you're talking about Marina District and all that, I mean, I, I'm very familiar with the area. I was just in San Francisco last week for the SEM Rush had their marketing global summit day. And what it was like four days of what it was, is pretty much marketing. So I mean, they had like five, six hours in Sydney, six hours in London, six hours in New York, and six hours in San Francisco. We all went into the studio, which was kind of interesting to have everybody there and, and doing. So it was kind of a, a live stream type deal that they did. So yeah, it was fun being in San Francisco. But did you grow up in the Bay Area? Are you originally from the Bay Area? Hmm. I did. Yeah, I uh, grew up actually in a small town called Hillsborough, but uh, the the house we just moved into was about three miles away from where I grew up. It was my grandparents' house. So we've been nice under construction for this is month 29. And we moved in a couple of weeks ago, but the house is still being worked on. Gotcha. And Hillsborough, isn't that like almost wine country, right? Hillsborough? That's Hillsburg, where ah. Hillsborough, which is a small town, probably 10 minutes west of the airport. Yeah, uh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Cool. So you guys, are, was it your grandparents' house that you guys are rebuilding? It was had foundation issues, so we had to start from uh, scratch. We totally knew new construction, knew everything. Well, I, I flip properties as well. In fact, I have a house in Dixon right now that we're literally bringing up the foundation right now. So I, I understand your struggles and what that entails with engineers and all the other fun stuff to make sure the city approves it. So it's all about who your contractor is. That's that's my lesson exactly. from this house. Yeah, it really is. It's like, oh, so you do know the people there. Oh, we know them really well. That's my cousin. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, there we go. You're probably the person I want to hire then. Yep. No different than the U.S. government, I'm sure, and any other contracts that are out there. Shout out to the U.S. government, by the way. And then how big was your family growing up? So you obviously in the Bay Area. Did you have a big family? No, I mean, I have two older sisters. I'm the the baby boy. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're the baby boy until you have a child. Yeah. You're the baby of the family until you have a child. But two older sisters, not a huge family. Gotcha. And then what about any cool, fun, interesting facts growing up? Is there anything you're like, hey, Shane, I've obviously been talking to you for 15 minutes. I feel extremely comfortable telling you this. And I haven't told anybody else this in my life. And I want to tell you this happened. There's actually four kids, but we killed them or something like, I mean, is there anything fun or? The truth is I don't have a lot of great, like youth. Here's what makes me the most interesting person in the world. I think that most of my professional experiences are what I talk about, but honestly, my upbringing was like stable family home, Northern California, like Silicon Valley before people really thought of the tech and startup scene as like the dominant industry in Northern California. I went back east for college, had a good time, moved around, sort of, you know, went through the finding yourself era of uh, mm-hmm. my mid 20s, and then finally wound up back at home and landed jobs in technology and kind of took it from there. So, no huge, like, I didn't survive cancer or grow up in North Korea. I, I grew up in a stable place and just hopefully I've had an interesting enough career to be able to, to talk about it. Hmm. Man, and I don't want to say, God, I hope you get cancer so we have something better <laughs> to talk about next time. Because I mean, I, I think that right now you're going to be interesting enough. I'm, I'm already, I'm not too worried about it at all. And when you say you went to college in the East Coast, where on the East Coast? I went to Boston University. Oh, awesome. My hometown teams were the 
the Red Sox or my, I say my college sports team were the Red Sox and the Patriots. I'm a big sports fan. Yeah. They obviously, cause there wasn't a lot of college athletics at BU, but inner city school and uh, it was a good experience. A lot different than Northern California. Yeah. It's funny. So I actually, man, our paths could have been interesting because I was actually, when I was looking to go to college, it was either a, um, it was the Goodwill Hunting came out and I saw that movie and I was like, oh my God, I want to move to Boston. And my mom's like, what? Like, I thought you were going to move like somewhere in Northern California, somewhere close to, so, you know, we can like still see each other every day or something. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to Boston. And she goes, Boston. And I end up going to Chico, California, which is mm-hmm. not nearly Boston. Hey, my sister's a Chico State grad. Go Wildcats. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Good old Wildcats. Boy, we speaking of throwing up. But anyways, I mean, it's nothing but a good time out there. But it's, you know, it's interesting when I did go out to Boston to go visit. This was obviously after college. I think they were talking about it has the most colleges, not per square foot or per mile, something like that. I mean, it's yeah, got it's, I think it's like hundreds. 64 undergraduate universities in the, the greater Boston area or something like that. It's crazy. Easy. That's awesome. But yeah, I remember we went there because we went to Yale or, or yeah, went to Yale, Harvard, went to Harvard, went to some other places around there. And they were just saying, you know, we went one of those little buses being a little tourist and they were talking about how many different colleges there were. So that's awesome. I love Boston. Like when I was out there, I had nothing but a great time. I mean, just the people and just obviously crazy sports fans, right? I mean, when it comes to anything For sure. Boston related. It's religion. And I was there before the Red Sox had won the World Series. So there was a lot of pent up aggression. Mm, the but, curse. Yeah. I mean, it's an amazing town. There's tons of undergraduates. Sports is really, uh, you know, an interesting thing. Yeah, it's really important in the uh, yeah. in the culture. And then for me, coming from Northern California, going back east, the metaphor I would always use or the story I'd always tell about the difference between growing up here, it's like here, you cross the street, Northern California, and you bump into somebody in the shoulder and they say, excuse me, pardon me, have a nice day. <laughs> and in Boston, it, they're a little bit more aggressive. It's probably F you, what's your problem? Get out of my way. Yeah. And it's not to say that both people aren't meaning the same thing. It's just that yeah. common reaction is, uh, you know, I'm walking here as opposed to have a nice day. And, and that know, is a big adjustment for me as an 18 year old kid. Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah. Cause Northern California is that I would say it's, it seems to be, cause I'm obviously in Northern California. I might be a little biased, but it is, I feel like when I say hi to people, they don't look at me like you're a screw off or something like, why are you trying to pick up on me or something? Right. For the most part. Yeah. Um, I mean, but I, I think it's always interesting, right? I think that's, there's something to be said for the history of the, you know, the area Boston's a lot older, relatively speaking, you know, and people that are there have generally been there and have families there and have settled. And I feel like more of a transplant culture in Northern California and, and specifically San Francisco than in, you know, greater New England, where it's more of like established families and, and people that have just sort of been in that region for a long time. I feel like we get yeah. a lot of the new entrants to the country and a lot of people that are coming here for the, the tech jobs as well. Yeah. So tell us about, okay, so you were in Boston, you're going to school in Boston, and then you end up coming back to Northern California, but really San Francisco area, right? So tell us about like your career journey. Like I know you were at, well, you were at eBay for what, I think about seven years or something like that. Is that, was that your first job coming back out of college or what was your journey there? So I actually bounced around a little bit after college. Truth is in my early twenties, I was having a good time in college. I was in a fraternity and I got pretty good grades, but I wasn't a straight A student. I think I actually didn't get an A or didn't get a C in college. I got all somewhere between a B minus and a B plus. And I graduated right after 9-11 and the job market was a little tough and I didn't really have a lot of direction. I had a marketing degree, but I took the first job that I got out of college, which was this really awful door-to-door business-to-business sales job, a total multi-level marketing company. 
And I was pretty good at sales just naturally. And so without a lot of training and a lot of guidance and assistant, I became one of the top sales reps in the country for this company that did like AT&T phone service or water coolers for businesses. And I got recruited by the vice president of the company to move from Boston, where I got my job, to Newport Beach in Southern California, and then out to Dallas, Texas. And that was over a year and a half period. So I was moving around a lot and I was doing sales and meeting a lot of people and, and having a good time and you know, wasn't really taking my career very seriously. And then I got tired and sort of realized that the company was a little bit of a scam and decided that I was going to try to get a, a marketing job. And I'm, I'm a huge sports fan. And so I was in Dallas, Texas. Sports is very central to the culture in Texas and Dallas specifically mm-hmm. as well. So I got a job working in sports marketing and I worked for an agency and I was basically getting coffee and making copies for people for about a year, dating the wrong girl and uh, just kind of needed a life change. And so I decided to come back to Northern California first because that's where home was and kind of take my life a little bit more seriously. And so I came here, I worked a couple temp jobs, temp jobs for six months or so and finally landed the job at eBay. And that was really the start of my career, but it wasn't the first Mm -hmm. job out of college. Gotcha. And is it, do you think the reason you left Dallas is because there's so many Dallas Cowboy fans? Because I'm a Niners fan, so I kind (laughs) of have to talk a little shenanigans. I mean, I I wouldn't feel comfortable if I wasn't talking a little trash about Dallas. I mean, shout out to the people that live in Dallas. I mean, that's awesome. But I'm just saying, it's like, that would kind of hold me back. (laughs) You know, uh, (laughs) I'm a bigger Cal football fan than I am a 49ers fan growing up here. And yeah. the Cowboys were pretty terrible when I was there. It was the uh, Bill Parcells was the coach, and then Quincy Carter was the quarterback, but it was pre Tony Romo. Ah. And so they were really down, and so it wasn't really that big of a deal. And I, I don't think the Niners were great that time. They might have been a playoff team, but not, not fantastic. Actually, they were probably pretty bad at that point. It was after the, the Jeff Garcia era. So the pro sports weren't a huge deal. I am a huge Cal fan Mm. and Cal was really good at the time. And I was trying to date a girl that went to USC that was from Texas. And so all of my like sports heartbreak was USC beating Cal, even when we were good. And I was living in Texas and college football is a really big deal down there. And uh, just getting heartbroken left and right. Yeah, man, that's a rough patch. I actually now because I'm a 49ers fan, I'm Seattle Seahawks are like my I just anything that bad, bad that can happen to them during a football season I'm excited about. Used to be the Dallas Cowboys and I actually went down to this is down to Southern California in um Oxnard because that's where they would have their training camp and I actually went down there and filmed a video kind of like I was talking trash about the Dallas Cowboys at their training camp with all Dallas Cowboy fans around me. I have a video Seems and really it almost, risky. yeah, I was like, why not put my life in somebody's hands? Right. I mean, why don't I just, I mean, it's all about, I mean, are you a Florida Niners fan? Are you willing to die for the cause? I, I guess I was. And so I went in there and did this video. And what I did is I sit into the 49ers and I said, Hey, this is how badly I want to do like social media or whatever for your company. And this was probably 12 years ago. I don't even know how many years ago, long time ago. And so I did this video and you can sign it, kind of see the Dallas fans like, Hey, is this guy talking shenanigans? Like, you know, and, and here I am doing this video, like going around like, Hey, this is how serious I am about doing this. Now, me and say, I didn't get the job. I also didn't get killed. I was very on the outskirts of dying, but I was able to escape it because I'm like a ninja. So I got out of there. And so there we go. And 
that's kind of my story about the Dallas Cowboys and 49ers. I'll have to, what we'll do in the show notes, I'll have to see if I can find that video. Cause it is, it, it is pretty entertaining. And my wife's like, so why did you do this? Like when I went down there, she's like, so you're, you're trying to suicide is your kind of an option. I go, well, not really suicide. They would have to grab me. Like suicide is something where you do it to yourself, but I guess it's kind of self-inflicted either there's way, either way. I made it through that time in your mid twenties when you are, you know, sort of really finalizing, discovering who you are, and there's just so many hormones going through your body. And I don't know, people just do dumb stuff. I feel like college, you have an excuse. And in your early 20s, you have to figure out how to be responsible and you have some disposable income. And, you know, that's that's when people yeah. get in trouble. And then you become old guys like me and that, you know, next yeah. year you're settling down. I think I was the original YOLO. Like you only live once. That's I think I was the one who maybe came up with that before Drake came up with that. And so anyways, I feel like I was an original. I, I, YOLO means two different things. There's the under 20 YOLO, you only live once, you better hurry up and do whatever you're going to do. And then there's the, you only live once when you're after 20, right? When you're in your 30s and beyond. And then it becomes, I probably shouldn't have that last drink because you only live once and I have to get up and go to work tomorrow. Yeah. And it's a different deal. I mean, we have kind of this common theme of drinking on here, which I appreciate because I am Irish, but there is that like now it just, you just can't get up like you used. I mean, I remember in college, I used to jump up and I'd be probably a little still intoxicated. I'm like, I'm going to go to the gym drunk. That's okay. I mean, it's what we do. And now I'm like, God, if I have like two strong, I'm an IPA guy. So if I have a, you know, two strong beers in the morning, I mean, I still get up and get my stuff done, but it's like, man, it's just not the same anymore. I got to plan my life a little different. So yep, I hear you. I used to own a bar in Chico. So that was a whole nether conversation. And uh, it was fun. It was great learning, great learning experience. But man, it was, you know, when you're the owner, everybody comes in and says, Hey, let's have a drink. And you can't be like, Oh, the owners are watching me. I really shouldn't, you know, have a drink with you. But then So yeah, I'd like, 50 groups of friends that would come in every night. And so you think you know how that story ends. It ends up <laughs> on a driveway in San Francisco, right? And a buddy and somebody bringing you water. That's how that story ends. But I knew you looked familiar. I, I didn't want to bring it up. I was like, God, right when you came out, I was like, oh God, that's him. I was like, this is going to be so awkward if he remembers because I don't. <laughs> so there we go. <laughs> Well, let's talk about the digital journey, right? Because obviously today we're talking about, you know, you've been doing podcasts for a long time and you're heavy in the MarTech space. How did you like the digital space? How did that like, I mean, obviously you were doing the thing at eBay, kind of go through that and then talk a little bit about the digital thing and then how you started doing podcasts. Because I think that's the premise of what we're talking about today. Yeah. So the journey goes, I started at eBay after bouncing around and I was working in the internet marketing team. And so that taught me a lot about sort of the ways to structure the different type of internet marketing relationships, what digital marketing was between affiliates, search engine, search engine optimization. And I was working on partnerships and learned a lot about business development and spent five or six years just doing BD deals, you know, selling desktop icons to Hewlett Packard and any sort of fixed placement, something that wasn't a, a variable unit. So mm-hmm. I spent my time doing business development, eventually wanted to go work for a smaller company. I wanted to go work for a startup and eBay was great, but the company was maturing and it wasn't mm-hmm. the big sort of growth engine that it was when I started. So after five years, all the really smart, talented young people were going to work for cool startups. And so I wanted to go work for Twitter or Facebook. And there was a handful of other startups that were interesting to me. And I had a lot of friends that were starting their own startups as well. And so instead of, I couldn't get a job at the early stage startups because I just didn't have a lot of like hands-on boots on the ground experience. I was being seen as a big company guy. And so Mm. I left eBay to start my own startup because that was the only way I could really get this sort of like bottoms up, do it yourself education and experience. And so I launched a guitar lesson website called strumschool.com. And that was really my first experience trying to 
kind of do everything on my own, had to learn a bunch of new skills and really put not only the digital marketing sort of experience that I gained at eBay, but I also had to figure out how to run product operations, a lot of business administration as well. Um, but it was a content business. So that was really kind of my foray into getting into what I'm doing now, which is podcast. But I think of podcast as an interesting medium because of its audio and it's kind of a different format. And it's a growing industry. They're still just content businesses, right? It's about consistency yeah. of production, yeah. finding a niche, positioning yourself, figuring out what your marketing vehicles are, and getting a bunch of other people to invest in helping you create and syndicate the content. So a lot of what I learned that I'm doing now actually came out of the startup that I did close to 10 years ago. That's awesome. Yeah, and I think that's really what it comes down to is it just comes down to content, right? No matter what your medium is, whether it's podcast or video or writing or whatever, it's like producing that content, right? And then be able to produce it at, at scale and then also taking those pieces and breaking them down and putting on social and driving traffic and all the fun stuff that goes into that. Yeah, I mean, the podcast content production to me hasn't been too terribly difficult I have a USB mic. If you're on video, you can see it now. I plug this thing into my laptop and I record. And, you know, I use Zoom conference and I, I don't do any special filters or a lot of audio editing. The real, you know, secret sauce is taking clean audio files, not having a lot of background distraction and noise, and then handing them to a professional editor. Everything that goes onto the MarTech podcast goes through an editorial process. And so instead of me spending hours and hours and hours editing the content I record, I can go find someone on Upwork or other platforms where you can find freelance workers and pay somewhere between $15 to $25 an hour to have somebody else edit the content while I'm going and recording more content. Yeah. You know, the secret sauce for building a content business is being able to consistently produce lots of high quality content. So by taking the editing off of my plate and handing it to somebody else. That was something I decided was better to buy than to build. Yeah, for sure. We're able to produce a lot more content. So how did you even jump into the podcast? I mean, how is that like, you're like, hey, you're doing this. And all of a sudden you're like, hey, I heard about some podcasts and hey, I want to start one. And then you just jumped into it. I mean, kind of give yeah. me a little background. You know, I started listening to podcasts a fair amount and, you know, Serial became kind of a big thing. And the podcast sort of industry had hit a tipping point and there was a lot of interest in podcasts, but not a lot of people that knew how to do it. And actually had a couple too many beers. I went to a house party and I was taking a lift home across San Francisco. And I decided I was going to sit in the front seat and talk to my lift driver. And I asked him where he was from. He had kind of a thick accent. And he said, I'm from North Korea. And I, I honestly didn't believe him. I was like, no, 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 you're not a native English speaker. You mean South Korea. He's like, no, I'm from North Korea. You know. <laughs> I don't want to say the bad one, but the one that has the human rights violations left and right. Yeah. So he started telling me a story about how he defected from North Korea and how he escaped from a slavery camp and went through multiple countries and almost died and his family relationship. And, you know, it was just an amazing story. It was something that could have been a movie. And I was so fascinated by his story and I was like, hey, do you want to tell this to other people? And he's like, yeah, that's actually why I am working in Northern California is I want to work in technology to spread my story to help the other people in North Korea. And it just, you know, hit my heartstrings. And mm -hmm. I told him like, hey, tell you what, here's my card, shoot me an email. And if you want, I'll record your story and I'll make it into a podcast. I'd never done it before. It was totally an art project. 
So I came home from this party. My wife is seven months pregnant. I'm like, I met this guy that's a defector from North Korea. It was an amazing story. It was like a life-changing moment. And I told him I was going to do a podcast. And there might be some guys sitting in our living room. I got to go buy some microphones. I'm going to record this and I'm just going to make a show and it's going to be the next serial. My wife looked at me like I'm crazy and she was probably right. And then three days later, he, you know, he actually emailed me. I, I went out and I bought some gear and uh, recorded you know, him and me having a conversation and getting his whole life story. It was about, I don't know, three, four hours of a conversation. And I turned it into the Long Road Home podcast, which I did a couple of seasons of, which is basically, hey, there's this interesting trend of you getting into a car with a total stranger. You don't know who that person is or what their background is. And I was trying to bring some humanity to, you know, the experiences that we have with strangers every day. It's not just an app. There are people that are, you know, the service providers there. And I made this podcast and tried to market it a little and learned a little bit about podcast marketing. And it, it basically whet my appetite for doing audio mm -hmm. content production. And a couple of years later, I was running a marketing consultant business, you know, while I was doing the A Long Road Home podcast and I needed a lead generation tool. And I was thinking about other ways to expand my business beyond just my personal network. And so having done a podcast and already having understood some of the marketing vehicles behind it, I decided to do one that was a professional podcast. And that's where the MarTech podcast came out. That's awesome. I love the fact, Stacey, because you're a little crazy like me. Like that's something that I would do. Like I'm like, hey, baby, just so you know, there's a guy in the living room and we're going to do this podcast. And my wife's like, okay, I, you smell like beer and all I want is peanut butter because I'm going to have your baby here in two months and, and you're going to go pick up some mics and stuff and go ahead and record an audio thing in our living room. You're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's the plan. There's this funny thing about being an independent consultant and you know, my career has taken an interesting change in the last, it's been almost five years now where I was working J-O-Bs, right? I had a career and it was a good one. I worked in technology. I'm in the suburbs of San Francisco. The money's good. I was the VP of marketing at my last startup. And, you know, I had a nice career path, but I just struggled with all of the pressure that comes with working for a small company and the balance of the reward system just didn't feel right for me. And I'm, mm -hmm. you know, either an entrepreneur or a creator or you know, I don't mind taking the risk and building something and figuring out how to do it for myself and betting on me. And when you're working at an early stage startup, those are great jobs. I don't mean to say anything bad about them. It wasn't the right fit for me where mm -hmm. as an executive at an early stage startup, the late nights for the maybe you'll pay me in a couple of years, that got real sour and real tired. Yeah. And, you know, I was taking less salary than what I probably deserved. And so I said, I'm going to step away and take on some short-term projects and start working for myself. And all of a sudden, I felt like I had more autonomy, more authority, more respect when I walked into the room. And I got to work on a bunch of different projects. You know, my, my career ADD was, you know, sort of satisfied because I got to move from project to project to project. I yeah. learned about marketing at all these different companies and my network started to expand and, you know, that's where building the podcast sort of fit into my business plan was I was already building assets to promote myself as a business. And so, you know, building the MarTech podcast and being the host of that show was just a natural extension to me trying to promote myself as a marketing consultant. And it's, it's scaled to the point now where I don't really do consulting. I just do the podcast and it's really my primary focus. Now that's awesome. That's kind of awesome. Because the thing is, is I think I know podcasts, I mean, because my podcast is fairly new in regards to, you know, to when we started it. But for you, so that's what you do exclusively. That's really where you spend all of your time is your podcast. That's your... Even the consulting portion of my business is 90% around 
how should you create a podcast or what do you need to do to grow your podcast? Mm. So most of the people that are coming to me now are not saying I need a business development or a growth strategist, which is the work that I did for about three years. Now they're saying, hey, your podcast is hitting tens of thousands of downloads, reaching lots of people, and it's monetizing. Can we do this for our brand? Or can you help Uh, us promote our show? Or how do we have a relationship with the MarTech podcast because we want to reach your audience? That's interesting. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it's, I think it is difficult from what I've read. It's been, it can be difficult to monetize a podcast, right? And I think that's where people, that's where it's like when you have somebody like the service that you guys provide of like the consulting of like, let me show you, you know, what's what we've done to be successful, I think is awesome, See, I, right? I, I disagree respectfully. Yeah, yeah, for sure. My problem has actually not been monetization. We hit 10,000 downloads a month, um, which is not a a small feat, right? It took nine months to grow the show from zero to 10,000 downloads a month. And I think I invested 10 grand in marketing and $25,000 total. So like I, you know, put my money where my mouth is. I dropped 25 G's on building a podcast, never took a dollar. Once we hit 10,000 downloads, I said, okay, I think we could start selling advertising and we sold out our Q1 inventory after a month. So we started selling in November and I sold about $25,000 of advertising in a month without having ever sold an ad or having done a sponsorship before. So, you know, I didn't think monetization was actually a problem. And I think that most of the industry is going about monetization the wrong way. And that's really where my experience at eBay and thinking about how companies work together and understanding business models really worked, where most people, most podcasts are thinking about monetization from a a CPM basis. Like they're selling ads, like they're selling inventory as if it was on Facebook. Every thousand downloads gets a $25 CPM on average. So at 10,000 downloads, what am I making? Like, 2,500 bucks a month or something like that. I'm not going to do the math real quick, but it just wasn't enough money to rationalize spending all the time on a podcast. We've put a lot of effort into understanding attribution. And so when somebody, you know, is a sponsor of our podcast, we really do three things for them. First, we create advertorial content, right? We're not just creating ads. We're actually having our sponsors be guests on the show. And we call out that they are, you know, who is a sponsor and who isn't. But they're helping us produce content and the sponsored content is actually consumed more than the non-sponsored content because those are the people that are putting a lot of effort into recording a great piece of content. So we bring them onto the show, we have them as a guest, we help them tell their whole story. We do the same type of advertising that the rest of the world does, the host-read advertising where we're talking about a promotion or a product and we're building that into our service, but we put a lot of effort into attribution and retargeting. So when somebody comes and listens to my podcast, I can actually retarget them on Facebook or Google or Twitter. And so I could start sending them digital display ads And that way, the sponsor can say, okay, I want to retarget all the people that listened to my advertorial content. If I'm going to create an hour conversation that's going to last a week, I want to be able to market to the people that heard it because they have a good understanding of what my brand is, who the people are, what my products and services are about, and I have some authority. So we can help the sponsors retarget the people that are actually listening to the show. And then since we know the people that are listening to the show, we can create lookalike audiences on Mm. social media channels and programmatic advertising to try to find more people that look like the content consumers. And so it's not just, I'm going to sell you ads. It's we create content, we sell you ads, 
We create an audience that you can re-engage and retarget, and then we can give you attribution. We tell you of the people that listen to the podcast, how many of them actually got to your website, how many of them actually bought something. And those sponsorship relationships, instead of being you know ten thousand downloads a month for twenty five hundred bucks, it's more like twenty five grand a, you know a quarter. We've had months where we've sold fifty thousand dollars of ad inventory. And we're over close to $200,000 of revenue in terms of sponsorships for this year. And it's our first year of, of selling advertising. So monetization for us hasn't been a hard time. Growing the audience, consistently finding new people yeah. that are interested in it. But you know, I think that there's ways around the monetization gap that most people are facing. Oh, that's awesome. And I mean, that's the thing. You and I might be talking offline because it's funny. I didn't start the podcast necessarily as a revenue stream or, or really for me, it was, I enjoy talking with people, right? And so when I get, if I'm not doing a speaking event and I have a you know 36 person team, but they're all remote. So, you know, it gets lonely over here. So I'm like, I'm going to start a podcast, just start chatting with people, right? And so that was kind of the goal. I have had a few people that have reached out and said, hey, we want to be sponsors of your show. But once again, it's a newer podcast. Um, I mean, that's once again, that's awesome. That's great. I mean, some big brands, but I don't know how to, I haven't, I mean, just to be extremely transparent, I haven't put anything like that together, right? I'm like, well, I mean, I understand. I can probably figure it out and probably put some stuff together, but I love what you're doing because really what a podcast can be for a client done correctly is an advertisement, right? Not necessarily fully advertisement, but repeat education, I guess. Education where you're educating somebody on this brand. And now the fact that you're going to go and market to them, right? Or remarket to them. And they already know about the history now or know the story or know what you do. Or, I mean, it's like, that's brilliant. I mean, if you really think about it, it doesn't get any better than that, right? So I'm throwing an ad to somebody that's maybe heard something, but now you know that they've listened to at least part of the podcast, listened to the episode, and now they have it better than a general knowledge of that company. And now you're advertising to them and they're saying, oh, we, I did hear about this. Oh, I heard about it on Benjamin's podcast. Like, absolutely, this is somebody that I want to reach out to or something like that. And you can attribute that back. That's awesome. Yeah, there's so many ads that are put in front of people these days, right? Because of the digital experience, because of the mobile phones, everywhere you go, there is some sort of an ad. And consumers are becoming more and more sensitive to being advertised to. And so mm. the trick to promote your brand without being overly salesy is to produce content, is to provide value. And to me, that's why the podcast medium is so interesting and so attractive is you can create a piece of content, introduce your brand, introduce some of the people behind the company to the audience that you want to reach. And you don't have to put a banner ad flashing in front of their eyes, right? You can actually provide value. And it's the only medium that I could think of outside of television where you can engage with someone and really tell the whole story. You know, the average... Mm podcast that we published is somewhere between, generally they're between 18 and 25 minutes. The average one's about 22 minutes. People listen to about 80% of each piece of content. So they're listening to 18 to 20 minutes of each 22-minute episode. Hmm. If you can tell me another medium where I can get a room full of, let's say on average, you know, 2,000 people listening to me for 20 minutes, like that's a conference. And we do that every yeah. day. And so to me, that's what makes the podcast medium so attractive to sponsors is you get a fair amount of time, you get a lot of depth by creating the content. Being actually in the show is really, really valuable. And now you also need the frequency of impressions. So you need that reoccurring advertising. There is something to be said for having the host-read advertising actually happening. But the mix of depth that you get from advertorial content and the repetition you get from advertising 
is really, really powerful if you do it the right way. We've seen some people have click-through rates or what we call click-through rates where the connection between I've listened to a podcast and I've got to the sponsor of the podcast website, 6% of the people. If you thought of a 6% click-through rate on Facebook, that would be astronomic. Be huge, yeah. Right? And, yeah. You know, it's a, it can be a very powerful mechanism because you get a lot of depth and reoccurrence. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, when, so when you said that, when you were talking about that, I thought, God, that's brilliant. And it makes total sense, right? Because you have somebody that obviously has been, that has listened, you know, 80% of them listen. And so you know that they have now a better than general knowledge of whoever this is. There's the education side of things. And now it's just putting some ads in front of them for them to say, hey, this is, oh, I, I heard about this on the podcast and hey, let's do it. So that's awesome. I love that lap, that strategy and how you put that together. I mean, we're working on our monetization stuff right now just because we've had some people reach out, but it wasn't that wasn't necessarily a goal of the podcast. It was mainly just to kind of have fun, interview some cool people and kind of tell everybody their story, you know, and be able to help get that out there through the networks. There's two things that we're thinking about for next year. Our goal for this year and, and I talk about this on the MarTech podcast once a month. Our monthly recaps go over what our goals are and how we're tracking to them. And we're totally open kimono in terms of what we invest in our marketing channels, what marketing channels they are, how they're performing on a month-to-month basis, and how they're helping us monetize the podcast. Our goal for the year was to go from 10,000 to 100,000 downloads per month. We're going to fall way short. We're going to be close to about 50,000 downloads a month by the end of the year. But we exceeded our revenue goal, which is I wanted to raise, I wanted to create $100,000 of revenue from sponsorships. And we're probably going to get close to doubling that. So we're half short in terms of how big our listenerships, but we made twice as much money as we thought we were. And now it's like, okay, where do we go from there? Well, there's two ways to go. We continue to try to grow our show. We try to get other people to create content for us and create other podcasts, or we work with guys like you who have podcasts, but don't haven't mastered the monetization piece. And we say, I'll pay for your hosting. I'll sell the advertising. All you got to do is record the ads. I'll create all the copy for you. And we're essentially going to serve as a podcast advertising network or an agency. I'm not exactly sure what the model would be. And so let's call it an ad network for podcasts, for business podcasts, but not totally locked in on which direction we're going to go creating the content ourselves or working with other people, but something we tossed around. Well, let me know. I might know a first client, potentially <laughs> the guy who's sitting in front of you with the red beard. Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's the way to go, man. It's like I said, it, it hit us out of nowhere and I was excited about it. I mean, flattered that we had some big brands that were interested, but then how you put together, I mean, I didn't want to send them an email back and be like, hey, we didn't really think we were going to make any money from this, but how much you want to give me? And I was like, this is awesome. You know, I think another thing is too, is we'd also talked, this was another thing that was, a, I think it's called Podium, but it, what it was was interesting where they have what it is, you know, your certain amount of downloads you get, right? And what they done is they make it so you can put different ads on different past podcasts. I don't know if you've heard of that. So I don't know if I'm new to that. So when she said that, I was like, oh, that's kind of brilliant. Because if you get a lot of downloads on this old one, like how do you monetize that? How can you put a different sponsor there or something like that? So, uh, you know, I'm at the beginning stage of this thing. It's called dynamic insertion. That makes sense. And what it allows you to do is you basically have an ad unit when you record the content and you could say, okay, the ad starts, you know, 30 seconds in and goes to 47 seconds. Now that I've flagged that as an ad, the technology, we use a a hosting platform called Art19. It's a wonderful tool if you're trying to monetize your podcasts. And so we went into Art19 and went through our entire content archive and said, okay, here's where all the ads are. And now when we have sponsors, they don't buy ads for a specific show. What they're doing is they're buying ads for a week or a month. Mm -hmm. And so right now we have three advertising spots this week. 
Intercom, CallRail, and MailChimp. And whenever any of those ad placements come up, those three ads will be read in some sort of an order. I, I forgot who's first and who's last this week. But next week, there'll be different brands. And so when someone comes onto the MarTech podcast and they go into our content archive and they listen to a piece of content from the first month of production, the ad is still a new ad, right? We're changing them mm. out every week because all we're doing is telling our host, hey, these are the ad spots. This is the ad for this week. And then you could cycle through all of the inventory and instantly insert whatever ad you want played at any given time. Mm, I love it. And it allows us to sell a lot more inventory, right? Instead of saying, hey, this episode that we're publishing today, it's going to get 2,500 downloads and we're doing five episodes. So you're going to get 15,000 downloads or I'm probably doing the math wrong again. No, 12,500 downloads. We're going to end up selling our entire content our entire archive. And so we're going to have like 50,000 downloads. We're selling all the old stuff as well. That's awesome. That's brilliant. We're definitely, if you start the agency thing, once again, I'm all joking aside, I'm ready. I'm ready right. to talk to you about that because that, that would be interesting. One, now we actually have to do it. That's it. Yeah. Now look at that. That little foot, a little fire, huh? You're like, we got a customer. I think I had no, somebody that fell, that fell for it. <laughs> I'm very goal oriented and we're not doing anything until next year until we say, okay, this is going to be our goal. We're going to increase monetization by going this route. Like I want to be very specific. We're still focusing on all the goals we meant to accomplish this year, which was figuring out who our audience is, figuring out how to grow our show and monetizing through sponsorships. And we still have a, you know at least a month or two of work to do there before we want to course correct and figure out what we want to do next. So like I said, it's, a, it's our next year's problem. The way I look at it, though, if there was the two goals that you set, I mean, there's probably more than that, but the two that you least mentioned, the one that you achieved I would be the bigger one for me, right? I'm like, dude, let me think the doubling of revenue. I mean, not that, I mean, downloads are important, right? But I, at the end of the day, it's like, but I still made twice as much money and didn't hit 100,000 downloads. I think life's still good. I mean, it's, don't get me wrong. I am not complaining one bit, but it, it's chicken or the egg, right? If you can't continue to expand your audience... I underestimated how much money we could make from the podcast with the audience of our size. But if the audience doesn't grow, then it's hard to grow that sponsorship. So even if it's 200 grand in revenue this year without audience growth, it's 200 next year. So I got to gotcha. figure out a growth strategy, which is where the network or different podcasts or finding new marketing channels to continue to grow our audience. You know, we basically hit a kind of a a softening in terms of the MarTech podcast growth over the last couple months. But it's also in a time where we're pivoting what our growth strategy is. We were doing almost entirely paid marketing to try to get people to listen to the podcast. And now we're shifting more towards an organic growth model because I don't want to spend $30,000 a quarter on marketing forever, right? I want to be able to say, okay, I invested in organic channels. And next year, instead of me spending going from 30 to 40 to 50 to $100,000 in marketing, I want to keep my spend consistent. And you need more organic growth to be able to keep your spend flat while still actually growing the bottom line. So when you say organic, are you talking about more like, in other words, like SEO type things? Or you mean organic in the sense that your guests will start promoting you more and, and that you're having to do less paid ads? Or what, what do you mean when you say organic? Yeah. So all of those things is what I mean by organic. By organic, I really mean some sort of a marketing channel, a marketing vehicle that you're not paying for an advertisement to drive a new user. And so there is search engine optimization, creating written content, there's app store optimization, 
There's virality, getting the people that are my guests or my community to share the content. I would put all of those into the organic growth bucket mm, as opposed gotcha. to performance marketing, which is, you know, what are the channels that where I can buy ads? And so we basically focused on paying to buy a user base for the first year. And now we're trying to shift towards more of an organic focus. And do you think that was the reason why you guys had such successes? Because you guys, I mean, it was obviously because we're putting quite a bit of money into the podcast. It grew a nice foundation of base now. And now you guys are going to try to not do paid, but you want to do less paid and get more of the organic type of thing where, you know, you're taking off virally. People are sharing more of the content. You're getting better guests, that kind of stuff. There's two things that are happening. One, at some point with your performance marketing channels, you just hit a ceiling and you either yeah. need to bring in more technology, more experience, right? Hire an agency, or you need to find different channels. And you can invest in spending more in terms of infrastructure and talent. In the meantime, you can also invest in building out organic assets that will be growth channels. So we're kind of staying steady state with our performance marketing effort. We're actually continuing to invest in them. That's a little unfair. We're, We're bringing on an agency and they're helping us doing some programmatic advertising and figuring out attribution a little bit better. But in the meantime, what my team is focusing on that we're not outsourcing is creating more content, optimizing it, doing a better job talking to our guests, building our community and getting them to share and comment on the content because that's just going to help us get more free traffic, right? More more free eyeballs as opposed to paid eyeballs or earphones yeah. in this case. Yeah, no, no, that makes sense. So it's like, I don't know how many people are listening through their eyeballs, but I do get your point though. I mean, that's, that'd be interesting. And so what if like, if you're so obviously if you're a budding podcaster and they're, you know, when you're talking about like traction and sponsorships, cause you guys got, you guys got pretty quick traction. I mean, that's, is that, I don't think that's normal, right? I mean, you guys got, it was like 50,000. I mean, you guys, I think it was, how many were you guys getting a month? I mean, you went to a point when all of a sudden you guys like took off. I mean, were you surprised at how quickly was that? And what was your guys' strategy for that? We kind of consistently had linear growth. It wasn't exponential. It wasn't the hockey stick. We're not Facebook. Mm. But we grew about 20% month over month for the first 16, 17 months of the show. So we went from zero to 44,000 downloads, I believe was our peak. Um, Mm -hmm. And we've kind of hovered around 44,000 downloads for the last couple months. And there's really four ways to grow a podcast. There is organic, viral, paid, and partnerships. And by that, Organic is content and app store optimization, right? When somebody searches for a podcast, do I have the right topic and titles? And is it being put in the place where they're actually looking? So do people find my stuff in Apple? If they Google it, will my content show up first? Virality is I'm having a bunch of people that are guests and a bunch of people that are listeners of the show. Can I get them to share the piece of content that they listen to? Paid is paid, right? And and most of what we did that was kind of the secret sauce was we invested our paid dollars into advertising where podcast listeners already are. And so the marketing channel is a service called Knit, K-N-I-T. And you can do dynamic insertion of ads into any show on the CNN network. And there's a couple other networks that are there. And so one of my biggest growth drivers was when Anderson Cooper would finish his podcast and a couple other shows on the CNN network, an ad would play that was my voice saying, are you ready to learn how great companies grow and follow the MarTech podcast? And then we did gave a little sample of the content. We said, download the MarTech podcast by searching for MarTech podcast in your app store or go to martechpod.com. The moral of the story here is, we were marketing towards people who we we knew were podcasters because they're already listening to a podcast. Mm-hmm. And we did not just focus on targeting marketers. We targeted a big audience with a lot of cheap inventory. 
And so, you know, we cast a wide net and had what's called remnant inventory, but the cheap stuff. And we were pretty consistent and, and regular about using the same channels, the same shows that we were advertising on. So people were hearing our ad pretty consistently. And so that really helped grow the podcast. That's probably the biggest, you know, secret sauce. And then the last part is partnerships, which is what this is, right? Meeting other podcast hosts and guests and being good member of the community, our sponsorships, working with uh, some other podcast and marketing channels to try to create content syndication opportunities. That's awesome. Well, once again, man, congratulations on that. It's been, like I said, I've been following your guys' journey and it was kind of interesting to see your growth. And like I said, there's a handful of podcasts that that I've been monitoring just in the sense that I'm excited about the growth that they've had and we want to do something similar. Once again, not monetization is something there, but that's not the number one thing for us. I just think it's been it's been fun. It's been fun to be able to interview people and get to know people. And you don't have to come out if I come out to San Francisco or at least Burlingame from like heading out of SFO or something like that. I'll have to come out and say hi to you guys and see what's going on. Absolutely. I would love to connect and happy to help. If you're thinking about monetization or, or trying to figure out podcast growth strategies, let's let's do it. Yeah, yeah, I definitely will. So I've got, I'm, I'm going to ask you a few personal questions before we get you off the podcast. Sure. So, so rumor has it, you're, you're a runner. How you like to do marathons? Half marathons is about where I, where I tap out. Okay. So you and I are about the see, you and I are like two peas in a pot here, buddy. I've only done half marathons. And that was about where I was like, you know, I, I don't, people are like, yeah, but you get so much higher when you go to the second half. And I'm like, no, actually I get a rest. <laughs> I got to go lay down while you do another, you know, 16, whatever it is. God knows 13.1 yeah, 13 miles or whatever. Miles. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's people were like, yeah, that's when my leg went numb and I started bleeding and I started coughing up blood, but it was so worth it. I'm like, God, that sounds awesome. Oh no, wait, no, that doesn't sound awesome. That sounds absolutely terrible. Everybody has their points, right? For me, I just, I'm, a, I'm kind of a big dude, you know? It's yeah. like, I, I got to carry 220 pounds around with me for 13 miles. Getting to 26 seems like too much for my frame. Yeah, I love running. If I could stay out there longer, I would. It's something that I've figured out as I got older is how much I enjoy you know, being outside and, and getting to use my body and wish I'd known it when I was younger. Right. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. So I, I do the marathon. I mean, it's on my website. I talk about that being like kind of the journey of, you know, the, the marathon running at least. And then what about traveling? You still do a lot of traveling? Are you doing with the podcast? Or you do mainly yeah, stay in know, the Bay Area? I, I never leave the house. I'm totally a hermit. All of the podcast recordings are done digitally. We use Zoom to record our content. And my wife and I have a three-year-old, another baby on the way. So getting out of town is more and more difficult. And I try to be an active mm. dad and be there and have consistency for the kids. So I haven't done a lot of the travel, um, more domestic stuff than international uh, the last couple of years. Trying to be a dad that's going to be there, huh? Yeah. That must, well, that's something new. And we went to <laughs> Bali this year. I'm not going to say that we never get out of the country. We went to Colombia yeah. last year, but the trips are shorter and they're, they're less frequent. Yeah, I get it. So what do you do? Like, what do you do? So you got the podcast, you got family. What do you do to recharge? Is running kind of one of your things or what's your... Yeah, I run. I'm a big sports fan. So occasionally I'll get to go to a game with my dad. Honestly, mostly what I've done over the last two years is we've been working on our home construction project. And so all of my spare time went to building our house and we just moved in two weeks ago. And so, you know, life's been a little bit hectic between being a parent, having a remodel. So there hasn't been one real way that's a, a specific release other than taking care of my family, spending time with them and getting some exercise when I can and hopefully catch a ball game every once in a while. Yeah, that's it. Well, that sounds like the good life. You know, that's, it's a little different than it was 15, 20 years ago, but that's a good life for sure. I wouldn't complain about it. Yeah, that's a good thing. So what, you got any other fun projects or is the MarTech where you're the podcast where you're spending your time? 
Yeah, the MarTech podcast is the the core focus for this year. Uh, I launched a second podcast called the Finding a Job podcast, which is meant for during the working world, trying to figure out how to start their career. Um, and it helps them with basically have templates to follow and have the the tools and tricks they need to make sure that they're putting their best foot forward. And I do the Voices of Search podcast, which is a, uh, a project that I work on with an SEO company called Search Metrics, an enterprise-focused company. So they help big companies do search engine optimization. And uh, I partner with my buddy Jordan on, on that project. So I have a couple of podcast projects in the works and uh, that's pretty much uh, keeps me busy every day. Nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, once again, hey, bud, I really appreciate you being on the podcast today. And if anybody wanted to get in contact with you, well, they want to grow their podcast, they want to monetize their podcast, how can they get in contact with you? Yeah, I think the first thing I'd do is you should listen to the MarTech podcast. Uh, the website is martechpod.com, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D.com. My consulting website is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P, the first four letters of Benjamin, the first four letters of Shapiro. Um, and so that has a little bit more information on me, my experience, my background. It's got a contact us form. So uh, either of those websites, you can find me. And pretty much all of my social stuff is Ben J. Shap and all the MarTech podcast social stuff is MarTech pod. So if you're interested in either, you can find us everywhere there. That sounds like a plan. Benjamin, thank you so much for being on the podcast today, bud. Shane, pleasure. Thanks for having me as your guest. All right, bud.